Hi, thanks for listening to Him We Proclaim. Today, John Fonville starts a new series called The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification. John understands the Christian life and how discouraging it can feel at times. Today, he asks, how do we keep God's will so that it doesn't feel oppressive and exasperating, but instead pleasant and joyful? Many Christian authors have wrestled with that big question, haven't they? Well, over the next several weeks, John will be walking us through this very helpful topic. So let's get started with his first message in a series he's calling The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification. Here's John now with part one. I want to expand on this guilt, grace, gratitude paradigm that I've been teaching you here. Uh, And I want to talk to you about the gospel mystery of sanctification. The gospel mystery of sanctification. I take this from uh, a a, uh, 17th century English minister. His name was Walter Marshall, and he wrote a book called The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification. So let me give you some background about this and why we're going to look at it. In 1662, the Book of Common Prayer, which is the Elizabethan Book of Common Prayer, was uh, passed and finalized for the worship of the Reformed Church in England. But in 1662, there was also uh, Walter Marshall. He was an English nonconformist pastor. He couldn't go along with some of what happened in the established church. He's about the only nonconformist pastor that I like. (laughs) Um, That's an inside joke. That's why you didn't laugh. But anyway, (laughs) he he preached a series of messages about growing in holiness. And he based these messages on 14 directions about the Christian life. And so listen to what he said was the goal of these messages. And he preached them to his church. He says to his church, he says, quote, I want to teach you how you can live out the way of life that the Bible calls holiness, righteousness, godliness, obedience, and true religion. This is what God requires of you in his moral law, which he has summarized in the Ten Commandments and particularly in the two great commandments of love to God and love to your neighbor. So his goal was to teach you how to be a law keeper. His goal was to teach his church how to keep the great commandment, love God and love your neighbor. And so Marshall's goal is my goal for you is to teach you how to grow in obedience. It is to teach you in this series how to keep God's moral will, but how to keep it in such a way that it is pleasant and joyful, not oppressive and exasperating. So let me give you some background about Walter Marshall, because uh, it's helpful. The, the origin of Walter Marshall's messages flowed out of his own personal experience and struggles to live a holy life. His, his early life of faith uh, was not a source of joy and comfort to him. It was, a, it was a source of discouragement and heartache. He experienced a great deal of mourning because his conscience was always feeling so guilty in his struggles and in his failings to grow in holiness. Has anybody ever felt like that? And so Marshall was always going around thinking that God was displeased and angry with him. And so he set out to try to get help. So he first went to his friend, Richard Baxter. 
Richard Baxter uh, wrote this famous book that a lot of people talk about called The Reformed Pastor. And let me just say, that title is not a reflection that his book is about the Reformed Confession of the Christian Faith. It is far from it. It's not about the Reformed Faith, the Reformed Pastor. Uh, But when Marshall went to Richard Baxter to get relief for his suffering He found no relief from Richard Baxter. And if you know what Richard Baxter taught, it would be good reason he found no relief because Richard Baxter was not even an evangelical. So next, after leaving Richard Baxter behind, he consulted with a man called Thomas Goodwin. And so Thomas Goodwin, he was a very very well-known Christian theologian in his day. And so Marshall, when he went to his friend Thomas Goodwin, he confessed several sins to Goodwin that were weighing heavily upon his conscience. And when he had finished making his confession, and let me just say, by the way, that the practice of confession um, outside of the general public confession of the church is a very good thing to do in the church. It's a very good practice. In fact, Calvin commends that in his institutes as a practice of the church. So if you ever want to come and confess your sins to the pastor, I'll absolve you of those. And it's, it's a healthy thing to do that. So he went and he confessed his sins to Thomas Goodwin. And when he finished his confession, Thomas Goodwin replied this, He says, you have forgotten to mention the greatest sin of all, the sin of unbelief. You do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and to sanctify your nature, end quote. So Goodwin's reply to Marshall was a major turning point in Marshall's life. Marshall came to see that at the root of his fears and his lack of comfort and his exasperation and his depression and struggles, at the root of that was an evil, unbelieving heart, a lack of faith in Christ. He came to see that he was not trusting Christ, listen, to sanctify him. He came to see that the key error that so many believers make when it comes to pursuing holiness, obedience, is this. This is the key error. He writes this. He says, people think that even though they have been justified by a righteousness produced totally by Christ, they must be sanctified by a holiness produced totally by themselves. I want you to listen carefully. Sanctification, like justification, is the work of God's free grace. I want you to listen to question 35 in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is now our cousins, because our cousins are the Westminster people. Question 35. What is sanctification? Listen to this answer. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace. Everybody say that with me, because I want you to get this. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace. Whose work is not included there? Yours. (laughs) And what does this work of God's free grace begin to do in our life? 
whereby we are renewed in the whole man, the whole being, our whole being. God wants you to be a healthy, whole person. He says, look, God's free grace working in you renews the whole man after the image of God, which was lost in the fall. Listen, and God's free grace enables us more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace. Listen, we no more sanctify ourselves than we justify or glorify ourselves. Sanctification like justification and glorification, in other words, the whole package of salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. And so what Marshall came to understand is this wonderful, life-giving, freedom-releasing truth that the gospel is sufficient both for our justification and for our sanctification. This is what the Apostle Paul clearly teaches in the book of Titus. You can sum up the book of Titus, which is this, is chapter one, verse one. It is the gospel which is according to godliness. Godliness is a God-centered life that manifests itself in godly living, which godliness comes from the book of Proverbs. God-fearing, God-centeredness. This is what the gospel produces. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says, how the gospel empowers God's people to live a godly life. He says in chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So immediately that tells us that grace, what is the grace of God, this free work of God's grace? It is a person. It is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Grace is a person. The grace of God has appeared, look, teaching us, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, teaching us to be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people who are zealous for good works. That's what the grace of God teaches us. You, we, we might call this passage in Titus with Christ in the school of grace. And he brings us into his grace, teaching us to deny ungodly living and to pursue righteousness and holiness and to be looking eagerly for the second coming of Christ. To be zealous. He died to redeem us, listen, from lawless deeds, from antinomianism, license, breaking God's law, He died to redeem us from that, and he died to purify us, sanctify us, listen, to be zealous for good works. That's why Christ died. And so the gospel Paul teaches us brings a double blessing. It brings the forgiveness of sin, which is justification, and it brings us the powerful holiness, which is sanctification. 
This is what Augustus Toplady, who was an Anglican pastor and hymn writer, captured in his famous hymn, Rock of Ages, and we sing that hymn in this church. Listen to, this, listen to what he wrote. He says, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water in the blood from thy riven side which flowed, listen, be of sin the double cure. Save me from its guilt and power. In salvation, we don't receive a half Christ. We don't receive a half Christ who saves us from the guilt of our sin, but then leaves us to save, that is, sanctify ourselves from the power of sin. Christ is not divided. You cannot have a half a Christ. In salvation, we receive a whole Christ who saves us from the guilt and power of sin, who justifies us and who sanctifies us, and we trust him to do both. Christ forgives me of my guilt, and he washes me from my filth and impurity. And so what we must learn to do and what we're going to learn in this series to do is to learn to trust Christ to save you not only from sin's guilt, but from sin's power. Trust him to save you from the dominion of Satan, Paul writes in Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has done this. We must trust him for this. And he has conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Trust Christ to give you this new spiritual frame of mind to do these things. And when you trust Christ for the salvation of the guilt and the power of your sin, this is what begins to happen in your heart. The love of Christ in the gospel will begin to compel you to live for Christ and to die to your sin. This is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. He says, for the love of Christ compels us. It's a powerful image. The love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died, and, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves. He died for you to purchase you so that you would no longer live for yourself. Remember, love of neighbor, great commandment. We're, we're loving our neighbor. We're learning to love our neighbor. We're learning to look outside of ourselves to our neighbor Jesus died so that you should live no longer for yourself, but rather live for him who died for you and rose again. And so only the gospel can empower obedience. Only the gospel is essential for growth and holiness. And so the great theme of Walter Marshall's messages, it came into his book, which is the theme of scripture is this, Christians grow in obedience by the power of the gospel. You grow in obedience by the power of the gospel. You don't grow in obedience by your own strength. Listen, it is by means of the gospel and faith that the Holy Spirit brings you and me into union with Christ. And his spirit then begins to work in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. 
And so our, our Christian growth, our sanctification, our obedience, our pursuit of holiness, it flows from this union with Christ. It is not flowing from our own efforts to just gin it up and do it. When it comes to sanctification, that people tend to fall into two errors. One of these errors that people fall into is legalism. And what they do when it comes to sanctification is they place their own efforts, their works, their obedience at the center of their sanctification, and they usurp the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And they think that by doing something, they are sanctifying themselves, but they're not. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about to make this real for you, because this is helpful to you. John Piper, in his book, Future Grace, he writes this, quote, he says, I am hard-pressed to imagine something more important for our lives than fulfilling the covenant that God has made with us for our final salvation. If you think you can do that, you're toast. I want you to listen very carefully. Good works, the pursuit of holiness, your covenant keeping, your obedience to God's moral will, however you want to label it, is never instrumental in your salvation. What you do is not instrumental in your salvation. I want you to listen to Walter Marshall as he explains this from his book. He says, holiness is not a means to an end. Holiness is not the instrumental means by which you achieve salvation. That's what he's saying. Holiness is not a means to an end. Your good works do not save you. Rather, holiness is part of the end itself. You are saved in order to do good works, which God prepared in advance that you should walk in them, Ephesians 2 verse 10. Good works do not achieve salvation. Good works are the fruits and results of saving faith. The only thing instrumental in your salvation is your faith, which is a gift given by the Holy Spirit on the basis of grace alone. Faith is the instrumental means of our salvation. That is the means by which we come into union with Christ and all of his saving benefits, justification and sanctification. So that's the first error that is common that people fall into. Second, the other error is license. People fall into license. They think that since grace and forgiveness are free, it doesn't matter how they live. There's no need to keep this, this law, and so they deny what's called the third use of the law. We see this rampant also in particular types of celebrity pastors who fall in and then bring themselves back and appoint themselves to plant a new church and then go and, and, and deny the third use of God's law. But you see, in our pursuit of holiness, we have to avoid both errors. Because both errors misunderstand the gospel. The gospel of grace is the power for holiness. And through faith in Christ, you are forgiven. You are justified. Through faith in Christ, you are being made holy. You are being sanctified. And you're trusting Christ for both. The gospel gives us Jesus who saves us from the guilt of our sin and from the power of our sin. And as Augustus Toplady said in his hymn, these are the double benefits. These are the double blessings. 
This is what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. That's not like, okay, so now get me 10 ways to abide in Christ so I can bear fruit. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's just making a statement of fact. If you don't abide in me, you can't bear fruit. You can't do anything. Just a statement of fact. It's not like, okay, abide in me. Okay, give me 15 practical tips for abiding this week so I can bear fruit. That's not what Jesus is saying here. You come into union with Christ through the gospel and faith that the Holy Spirit works this in you and unites you to Christ by the instrument of faith alone, not by your good works. And growth and holiness then flows from our union with Christ. And this is what Walter Marshall calls the gospel mystery of sanctification. Listen to what he, what is this gospel mystery of sanctification? He's going to tell you, tell us, listen. He says, now that you are in union with Christ, Christ begins to impart his godly nature to you. He says, in other words, you do not produce a godly nature yourself out of yourself. Rather, you take this godly nature to yourself by receiving it from Christ. Through fellowship with Christ, you begin to receive this holy frame of mind, which is in Christ himself. This is such a great mystery, it is difficult to understand, and it is. Listen, our union with Christ is a great mystery. The Apostle Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, he calls our union with Christ a great mystery. He says, quote, he says, this is a great mystery, but I'm speaking concerning Christ in the church. The scriptures are filled with mysteries. Let me give you a couple. The mystery of the Holy Trinity. You have the union of three persons in one Godhead. Jesus is the great mystery. You have in Jesus, listen, you have the union of the divine and human natures in one person. Jesus is the great mystery, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He says, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Jesus is the great mystery of godliness. And Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead, was pleased to dwell bodily within the person of Jesus. That's astounding. Listen, think about it like this. You have the fertilized egg by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He was an embryo. He was an infant that was born and was laid in an animal feeding trough. He was a little boy that grew up into manhood. He was the one who bore all of our sins upon the cross. He was buried. He was raised again on the third day for our justification, Paul says in Romans 4. He has ascended bodily to the Father's right hand where he lives and reigns with all authority for all eternity forevermore. And that is the great mystery, this great mystery that God acted through physical means to accomplish spiritual wonders. And listen very carefully, God still does accomplish spiritual wonders through physical means today. 
It's through the preaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments of water, bread, and wine in the church. Through the preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit, Paul says, and you've heard this a million times in our church in 2 Corinthians 4, the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, effects ex nihilo creation. He creates faith out of nothing. He creates faith in you as a gift, and, and through this gift of faith, he brings you into union with Christ and all of Christ's saving benefits, which is justification and sanctification. And then through the administration of the sacraments week after week through baptism and through the Lord's Supper, Holy Eucharist, the Holy Spirit confirms and strengthens your faith by, listen, bringing you through this table and through that water into a closer, strengthened union with Christ. And so then the source of holy living is the gospel mystery of union with Christ. Thanks, John. The title of today's message is The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification, Part 1. More from the series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time 